Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for our series finale of Start Fresh. Next week we're going to be starting a new sermon series called John 3:16. I don't know if you've heard about it. You know, it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Just kidding. We know you've all heard it. It's one of the most popular verses in the Bible and we are excited to take a new look at that verse. Super Sunday is right around the corner. It is on February 12th. Yes, that is Super Bowl Sunday and we are having church. We're gonna make it fun though. We're having a salsa competition and it's also Jersey Sunday. So start perfecting those salsa recipes and signups will start next week. Baptism Sunday is coming up on February 26th. So if you are interested in getting baptized or you have questions about what that looks like, please contact one of our staff or send us an email at prodigalchurchfresno at gmail.com. Our Love the World auction is coming up on March 3rd and we are so excited about it. We have a full page dedicated to this auction on our app and our website. Go check that out. There you'll find information about sponsorships, when you can buy tickets, um, if you can donate live or silent auction items, which we are collecting right now. So if you would like to donate, you can bring those on Sunday morning or if you have any questions about that, find me after service. Thank you so much for joining us for our series finale of Start Fresh. Whether you're online or in person, we thank you for joining us. Have a great Sunday, church. I love cereal. Okay? I often eat cereal for multiple meals a day, okay? And I've always thought that cereal was healthy, okay? Whole grain oats, whole grain milk, these are natural things, right? Cereal is not healthy. I found out this week that they have actually done rankings on the most unhealthy cereals to eat. Okay, are you ready for this? This is gonna ruin some of your weeks, okay? Number three on the list, Fruit Loops. But they have fruit. How can they be that bad? Number two on the list of unhealthy cereals, Apple Jacks, another fruit cereal. And then number one, okay, the worst cereal for your health is Honey Smacks, okay? That's the worst one. You remember the little frog from the 80s commercials? Okay, those were great. I, honey, another natural element. Uh, I thought it would be Lucky Chatham's for sure, okay? Which means that the best cereal is still in play. And there's no contest about this, okay? The best cereal of all time is Fruity Pebbles, okay? It's good even when it's soggy, and that is the ultimate test. And all of those names, even Fruity Pebbles, have like a natural feel to it, right? Fruit, apples, honey, Fruity Pebbles, okay? Uh, fruit and pebbles, that's, that's a twofer. Uh, the names are almost purposely deceptive. Oh, they're natural. They're from the earth. They're probably organic. Names are significant. They were significant in the ancient world, and they're still significant today. Here are some biblical names and their meanings. Okay, Samaria means a watch mountain or a watchtower. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, means Possession of peace or foundation of peace. Bethany, house of dates, okay? A lot of people going out to dinner there. It's like, it's like a club. Um, Golgotha, place of skull, okay? There was this little knoll uh, rounded like a bare skull. The place and the name were the same. 
there is this story in the first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And this story, it's a soap opera, okay? Uh, now, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I used to think that a soap opera was a soap opera, okay? It was one word, soap opera. My mom used to watch soap operas. And I'm not sure when I realized it was soap opera, but uh, I'm not sure if your mind even works like this, okay? But why is it called a soap opera? There's no soap whatsoever, and then there's certainly no singing, okay? There's no opera. Um, well, I was dealing with this this week, wrestling with it in my office, and so I did what all intelligent people do when they have a profound question. I Googled it, okay? And the term soap opera originated from radio dramas originally being sponsored by soap manufacturers, okay? There you go, okay? So today... We are going to look at a fresh start in the Bible from the book of Genesis in the middle of this soap opera. Okay, are you ready for the soap opera? This guy Isaac has twin sons. Okay, I already like the guy. The firstborn is Esau, and the younger twin is Jacob, okay? I'm the younger twin by 12 minutes, so uh, I already got an affinity towards Jake, okay? And in the ancient world, it was the firstborn son to receive the father's blessing. This was the spiritual blessing. It was also the legal blessing, and he would get more of the inheritance. And the father on his deathbed would always bless his firstborn son. And so Jacob, being the younger twin, longed for this blessing his whole life. Uh, even when being born, he was grabbing the heel of his brother. The name Jacob means deceiver, heel grabber, trickster, or liar. And names are significant. Okay? He even tricks his brother uh, uh, to give the blessing away throughout his life. And so near the end of his father Isaac's life, the day had finally come for their dad to give the oldest son his blessing. And on that day... Jacob and his mom trick Isaac into giving the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. You see, his father had lost his vision, so he couldn't see if it was Jacob or Esau. But there was one big difference between the two. Esau was a very hairy man. So Jacob puts on goat hair, like on his arms, and then he makes his dad rub his arms, and he's like, well, it feels like Esau. You sound like Jacob, but it feels like Esau, so... And he gives him the blessing, okay? He deceived him. The trickster tricked. The deceiver deceived. And while his dad is blessing him, he says to his son, don't marry any Canaanite women. Head to Padan Aram and find yourself a good relative to marry. Okay, hey oh, it's a long time ago. When Esau comes home and discovers that his brother had taken his blessing, it was rightfully his, he was upset. He wants to kill his brother. So Jacob flees. He heads towards Padan Aram, and he is alone in a desert. Uh, the blessing that he had always desired, the one thing in life that he thought would make him happy, he finally got it, and he's alone, and he's separated from his mom and his sick dad and his brother. He's sad, okay? He's all alone. His brother hates him. He's away from everything he's ever known or experienced. He wants a wife, but he hasn't found one. 
And so he picks up a rock on the ground and uses it for a pillow. Okay, sounds very uncomfortable. But God shows up in a dream. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28. It says this, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. In the winter of 2009, I was a youth pastor and we rented a bunch of charter buses to head to camp that was only two hours away. And 17 and a half hours later, we arrived at winter camp, okay? 17 and a half. One bus got stuck on the snowy road and it blocked the other buses from getting to the mountain. We left at 6 p.m. that night and didn't get to camp until the morning. And when the sun came out, it was like Narnia because snow had covered everything. Uh, it ended up really uniting kind of all of the students um, and we got a shirt made when we got home. I survived the 17 and a half hour bus ride to winter camp. Uh, now, on that night, I really wanted to be at camp in a warm bed, but I was on a snowy mountain on a bus. Have you ever been in a situation where it's like, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else, but I have to be here to get to somewhere else. I want to be somewhere else, but I'm here. That is where Jacob is in Genesis 28. It's a desert, and all he has is this stone. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not, I was not aware of it. When you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, God is with you. God will always show up in your middle of nowhere. That's so like God. Some of you feel like right now you're in the middle of nowhere, just like in life in general, and God is with you. And notice another thing here. God never really addresses the problem that Jacob was facing, okay? He had one prayer, save me from my brother, rescue me. God doesn't even bring it up. God doesn't even address the one problem that Jacob is praying about. He just says, I've got you, I'm here. God's like, I'll meet you there. And we're like, that's cool, but like, can you save me from my problem? Can you solve this? Thanks for being there, God, but I'm in debt and I can't pay my bills. Can you just throw me down some Benjamins? Awesome that you're here. Thanks for being there, but I'm sick and the doctors don't know how to make me better. Can you help me with that? Sometimes we feel like the problem for us isn't like a top priority for God. Sometimes we hold ourselves hostage because we decide that we're not going to be happy until that problem is resolved. I'm not going to have peace. I will not enjoy life on this mountain. I will only enjoy life when I'm on the other side of this mountain. And I believe that this is what God is trying to speak to us this morning. Rename the places that you're in and the places that you've been. Naming is significant. We have the ability to rename the place we are in. Verse 19, he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. 
It was Luz. Now it's Bethel. He just decided to rename the place that he was in. You know what Luz means? Almond tree. Jacob says, I'm not going to call this place almond tree anymore. Instead, it's Bethel. It's the house of God. You have naming rights to the places you've been and to the places you're in. You can call the place that you're in stressed out, or you can call it, I've got the joy of the Lord. You can call the place that you're in the waiting room, or you can call it the preparation room because God's getting you ready for something else, something better. You can call the place you're in, I'm miserable, and I'm not going to be happy until I'm out. Or you can call the place, God is with me, and I didn't even know it. You can call the place a setback, or you can call it a setup, and that's up to you. You might be in the land of worry, but stop calling it the land of worry. Call it, I know God's going to take care of me in the end. You might be in the land of timeline, but God's calling you to rename it. Rename it the land of, I'm going to enjoy my life and I'm going to fully love and fully live every day to the fullest and not wait until all my problems are gone. Let's rename the places you've been and the places you're in. God is still in the midst of showing up in the midst of our mountains. Names, they were significant. In the ancient world, your name was your identity. It's not just what you were called, it's who you were. When we named our son Dex, uh, we wanted the name to be simple, okay? Uh, We didn't want him to have to correct people with mispronouncing it, okay? We've got a longer last name, We just wanted something short and sweet. We did the same for our daughter, Ivy, okay? And I hate it when people have to correct your pronunciation of their names, okay? It's, it's, It's not just that the name is crazy, but the way that they spell it is weird, okay? Hi, my name's Michael. That's M Y K Z apostrophe W, Michael. Yep, that's how you spell it, okay? What's in a name? Well, for ancient Israel, And for Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, a lot is in a name. Jacob continues his journey to Padan Aram to find his wife. And on his way, he stops at a well. Something magical happens there. Okay, there at a well, he meets a woman. Her name is Rachel. Okay, she is from his tribe. She's not a Canaanite. And it's like it's love at first sight, okay? They kiss, she runs back to tell her dad that she found a suitable husband. And so Jacob arrives at Laban's estate, okay? Rachel's dad. And everyone celebrates his arrival. Now Laban, he's got, he's got two daughters, okay? Rachel, whom we just met, okay? She was the youngest. She was beautiful and lovely in form, okay? This is how the Bible describes her. And then Rachel has an older sister, Leah, and the Bible describes her as well, okay? Not quite as shiny terms. It says that she has weak eyes. We don't quite know what it means, but at the least it means she's not very attractive. Jacob, he wasn't interested in Leah, but he loves Rachel. And so he stays there for a month with Laban, and Laban says to him, okay, 
time to do your part. What are your wages going to be? And Jacob says, I'm in love with your daughter, Rachel. Give her to me in marriage. And in return, I will work for you seven years. So he works for Laban seven years to marry Rachel. Jacob says this. He says, I worked for him seven years, but it just felt like a day because of how much I loved Rachel. And then on the wedding night, okay, the big reveal, the night he had been waiting for, okay, the wine is flowing and Jacob is kind of feeling it. And when all the lights are out, Laban sends Leah into Jacob's room instead of Rachel. And he sleeps with Leah. He passes out the next morning, the sun catches his eye and he begins to spoon his bride that he worked so hard for seven years about. And he leans over to kiss her forehead and ah, ah, it's her sister, okay? It's her, it's her, it's your sister-in-law, okay? Dun, 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 okay? He's like, adios mio, it's not Rachel. Jacob runs to Laban, he's like, what did you do? What have you done? Jacob, the deceiver, gets deceived. And notice the deception was because he was unable to see the very same issue that led to Jacob's father being deceived. What goes around comes back around. And Laban is like, listen, it's not our custom to give our younger daughter in marriage first before the older daughter, okay? I'll give you Rachel next week in exchange for another seven years, okay? The trickster just got tricked. Jacob says, deal. Now he's married to both. He left his father to find one wife from his tribe, and now he has two. And there's all kinds of babies, okay? Leah has six sons. Rachel has two. Leah's maidservant has two sons, and Rachel's maidservant has two sons. Jacob's the dad of all of them, okay? Uh, and that's a, that's a grand total, if you're keeping count, of 12 sons, which later become the 12 tribes of Israel. And life goes on for Jacob. Uh, he is growing. His family is growing. He builds a life. Jacob, the heel grabber, the trickster, the deceiver. It was his name. It was his identity. And for some of us, we want our name to be big time. But we feel like our lives have been small time. For some of us, we want our name to be married. But we feel our lives have become single. For some of us, we want our name to be rich, but we're broke. This is true for our spiritual lives as well. For some of us, we thought we'd be saints, but we don't feel much like saints. We feel like sinners. This is where Jacob is at. He's just the same old deceiver he's been since the day he was born. Until he receives a word from God in Genesis 31. It says this, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Now, this is terrifying, okay? It's been two decades. Uh, is, is his family still alive? Is, is, is his brother going to harm him? Jacob had all of these questions and he had no answers. He only had the promise and I will be with you and I will be with you. It's just like he was at that mountain, formerly called Luz, but now called Bethel. You were with me 
the whole time and I didn't even know it. God says, I will be with you. And just so we're clear, that's all we need. I know that so many of you have lots of questions and you will likely never have the answers to some of those questions, but the Lord will be with you and that's enough. I just, I feel that really strongly for some of you who are listening to this online or watching it, that you can keep going and in the midst of your uncertainties, your doubts, your anxieties, and your questions, God is with you. You might still have those questions. You probably will, but it's enough to know that God is with you. He's with you right now. And God is with Jacob. Jacob arrives at the border of his brother's land and he sends all of his family and livestock over and he leaves it in God's hand. And this is the point of tension. This is the climax. Jacob is now alone. It's just him, alone with his thoughts. What's going to happen at the end of this soap opera? Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So that Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. There he goes again, renaming the place he was in. What a great story. It's one of my favorites in the entire Bible. It's also one of the most mysterious passages in all of scripture. Rabbis and scholars for thousands of years, like Jacob, have wrestled with its meaning. We can do an entire sermon series on this story. In fact, that's a good idea. We get like a wrestling ring on stage, okay? It would be awesome. And so Jacob, he's alone. He's afraid. He's made a man of himself with wives and with children and with flocks and with wealth. And he's sending everything ahead of him as a sign of strength to his big brother Esau. Then this man shows up and they start wrestling. I have so many questions. Why? How? And then they wrestle all night long. Who is this man? Uh, he's someone with power because a single touch wrenched Jacob's hip. He's someone with authority because he can change Jacob's name and bless him after the match. This unnamed wrestler who refuses to share his own name, yet asks Jacob the question, what is your name? What is your name? And Jacob's like, let me go. And he's like, it's daylight. Not until you bless me, Jacob says. Say uncle, say uncle. Then he says, what is your name? He says, I'm Jacob. I'm a trickster. 
I'm a liar. I'm a heel grabber. I'm a deceiver. It's as if Jacob has come face to face with himself in this wrestling match. And he admits, I'm a liar. That's my name. It's who I am. It's what I do. Sometimes, the fresh start only comes when you admit who you are. I'm a liar. I'm a sinner. I'm a stealer. I'm a thief. I mess up. And then God says to Jacob, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of a wound, in the middle of a struggle, God says, you are no longer Jacob. You are no longer deceiver. You are Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and you've overcome. It's a new start. And self-sufficient Jacob is no longer self-sufficient Jacob, because now he's got a limp. Jacob is now in a place of humility, and he will be in any and every interaction from that day forward. He will always be seen as the guy with a limp. His immediate presentation will be one of weakness instead of one of strength. And notice, Jacob's name change comes after he's crippled, not after his abundance, not after his wealth, not after his flocks. Israel gets the name Israel here, not when they're strong, but when they're weak. This weakness, this humility, this lowliness, it's a mark of strength. It's always been a mark of strength. The people of God are those who struggle with God. The people of God don't posture as strong, but as weak. The people of God are not proud, they are humble. And the people of God don't let go. We keep holding on long after the sun rises, long after the pain in our hip. And the New Testament reiterates this theme and we'll close with this passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for that truth, that when we are weak, we are strong. May we, as the people of God, be weak so that you may be strong in us. We need you, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we begin a brand new sermon series, a three-week series called John 316. 
and we're gonna be looking at this most famous passage of scripture and looking at it for three weeks in a row. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you join us next week as we begin this sermon series leading up to Super Sunday on February 12th, the day of the Super Bowl. We're gonna have a great time. God bless you. Peace in Ukraine.